Well, if you were, if you were here two weeks ago, um, we were looking in the book of Corinthians, we were also in Ephesians a little bit, and um, we were, I was challenged, I hope you were challenged, uh, to make a commitment to, number one, to be in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ personally. But then number two, to being committed to leading others into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. That was kind of our, our charge from, from two weeks ago. And as we, we looked at that, we, we, uh, we saw that we could make that decision, we could make that uh, choice, we could make that our mission based on the fact that Jesus is the foundation that we would build our life on. And uh, thank you, Pastor Daryl and Mildred and Praise Team, for leading us in that worship and, and bringing that um, to the forefront this morning. And so, uh, as I was preparing this, the message two weeks ago, I thought, man, I could do a second message on Jesus as our foundation, Jesus as the cornerstone that we build our life on. And that was, that was my intention, and, and the Lord laid on a passage in Ephesians chapter 2. We, we read the first half of Ephesians chapter 2, and today we're going to be... We're going to look at the second half of Ephesians chapter 2, so uh, you could be going there if you've got your Bibles with you. And as I, as I, looked, at this, um, as I looked at this passage, and um, it's beautiful to see that, that Paul is talking about how there's great division between the Jew and the Gentile, but that in Christ there's unity and there is peace. And then um, because of the unity and peace that we have in Jesus, we, we use him as the cornerstone, as the foundation of our lives. And so as I looked at that message and as I, um, as many of you have in the last two weeks, sort of watched the, the news and been on social media, um, you're, you're well aware of the division that we're experiencing as a, as a country. And I look at this passage and I say, or I see that in Christ there's unity. And then I look on social media, which is you know, a terrible place to be, spend too much time these days, but social media or watching the news or reading the press, and we see division over and over again, almost to the point where our culture is demanding that we be divided. Like you must choose a side. And then I'd... I look at the, God's word and I see a call to unity. So we will be in Ephesians chapter 2, as I thought two weeks ago, but I think my message has definitely, the emphasis of the message has changed. So we're going to... Um, we're going to read this passage together. Um, if I can, there's something in my eye. <laughs> We're going to read this passage together. So I'm going to read through the whole thing. If, read along with me if you have it. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made, by, made in the flesh by hands, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, 
and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I'm thankful this morning for the truth of your word. Lord, I'm thankful that it is relevant to us today. Lord, I'm thankful that um, it guides us, it teaches us. Uh, Lord, I'm asking you this morning that you would shape our thinking around your word, that we would uh, be viewing our world through a biblical lens. And Lord, I just pray that uh, you would allow me to speak truth this morning and not my opinion, not my thoughts, but that we would uh, just be able to think critically of the situation we're in and think biblically about the situation we're in. Lord, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, Pastor Jerry reminded us from the book of Ecclesiastes that there's nothing new under the sun. And uh, we look around and we think, you know, wow, COVID-19, unprecedented times, these, this rioting and the, the, the hatred and the division, unprecedented times. And yet the Bible, as Pastor Jerry reminded us last week, teaches us there's nothing new. So the, the issues and the struggles that we face today are similar to issues and struggles that people have faced in the past. But he also challenged us to do the next right thing. And I've been thinking about that a lot this week. What is the right thing for a Christian to do during this time? Uh, I, I think, as I mentioned, the death of George Floyd has exposed or brought to the surface again deep divisions that um, kind of lie under the surface sometimes in our country. Um, I've watched the news and the social media, and as I said, it seems like there's two sides and our culture demands that you choose one side over the other. So on the one side, uh, the one side cries out, an innocent man is dead, and we're not okay with this. And the other side is maintaining, well, law and order must be upheld. Looting and destruction of property must stop. And you must choose one side or the other. So what should our response be? I, I saw a, um, a social media post and it had two statements. And the first one was this. It's horrible that an innocent black man was killed, but destroying property has to stop. Okay, think about that. That was one statement. Right underneath it, it said this. It's horrible that property is being destroyed, but the killing of innocent black men has to stop. 
And even in that post, you look at that and you may agree with one more than the other, think, well, the one's more true than the other. Hopefully you, you look at the, the second one being a, a more accurate thing to say. But even in that, it's, that post indicates you still are choosing a side. You're choosing the side of the innocent black man or you're choosing the side that is condemning the protesters. It's promoting this us versus them mentality. So I, I read, I've been reading a lot this week, and one pastor um, um, prefaced his thoughts with this. He said, I'm not a judge, I'm not a politician, I'm just a pastor. And so I want to preface my thoughts this morning with the same thing. And my prayer is that, like I prayed already, that we would think biblically about this situation. And, and we'll approach God's word with an open mind and we'll be willing to say, well, whatever God's word says, that's what, what I'll go with. So as we do that, I just ask that you don't be too quick to respond to something I say with, yes, but what about? That's my tendency, right? Somebody says something I don't like and I say, yeah, but what about? And there's, look, there's lots going on. We're not going to address everything this morning. We, there's no time to address everything this morning. Just because I don't say something about something this morning doesn't mean I don't think it's important or it doesn't need to be talked about. But we're just going to talk about the things the Lord's laid on my heart. So as we look into this book of Ephesians, if you read through the book, you'll see that a theme of Ephesians is unity. Unity that we have with God as a result of our salvation, but also unity with our fellow believer because of our salvation. So as we, as we go back into this passage and just look at it a little more closely, verse 11 says, therefore remember. So he's, he's calling them to remember a time. And he mentions this, this time when the, the Gentiles in the flesh were called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. And we read that and we're like, oh yeah, I know about that. The Jews were circumcised because of the covenant with Abraham. The Gentiles weren't. Yeah, check. Yeah, I understand that. But for a first century Jew or a first century Gentile that's reading these words, they feel the tension immediately. And they understand the conflict. So we're talking, we're, we're observing in the news, you know, maybe 300 years of race relations in the U.S., Boiling to, the, boiling to the top. When Paul wrote these words, they're talking about 2,000 years of conflict between the Jews and the Gentiles. And, and today as we stand, if we were to look to the Middle East, we're looking at 4,000 years of conflict between the nation, the Jews, nation of Israel, and the Arab nations. The Jews, of course, felt like they were the superior race. After all, wasn't it to them that God came? In, in, in Genesis chapter 12, uh, God said to Abraham, or Abram at the time, not yet Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great so that you may be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. So the Jewish people thought, man, God chose us. We are the superior nation. But they missed out that, that last part. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. They forgot their purpose was to bless all nations. So as they received blessing, their, their purpose was then to make sure everyone was blessed. But they missed that. 
they looked down on the Gentiles. They looked at them with contempt, like they were dogs. So even though in the first century, the Jewish people were actually oppressed by the Roman nation. So they were, they were the underdogs. They, were, they, were, they weren't free to do as they pleased. They were under the oppression of the Roman Empire. They still thought they were superior. And so if you, were in the, if you went into the temple at that time, there's a, a stone from the temple has been found. And uh, archaeologists believed, and, and Christians, I would agree with them, that this stone w- would have been placed on the wall between the outer court and the inner court. And of course, the outer court, the Gentiles uh, could be in the outer court, but only Jewish people could go into the inner court. So this stone has been found, and it says this, no foreigner may enter within the balustrade around the sanctuary and the enclosure. Whoever is caught on himself shall he put blame for the death which will ensue. Right? So basically, Gentiles will be shot. Trespassers will be shot, right? There's, there was a conflict. There was a tension. There was hatred between these two people groups. But that's, that wasn't God's intention. God's intention was that Israel as a nation would bless all nations, but they had become proud, they were selfish, they thought they were better, they forgot what their purpose was. Remember we, I threw it on us there a couple weeks ago, but I'm just going to say what our purpose is, that we would be growing in a relationship with Jesus and leading others to be growing in a relationship with Jesus. So here's Paul's writing to primarily a Gentile church, a Gentile church who they didn't have the, the, the benefits or the privilege of growing up with the law. They didn't have the prophets. They, didn't have, they weren't allowed into the temple. They didn't have the teachings from the Old Testament. They, they were without God, essentially. And this is what um, I think it's verse 12 says. Yes, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants, having no hope without God in the world. Israel had not taken their purpose seriously, and it left the Gentiles without any hope. There was a great divide between these two nations. So as we look at this passage, there's, there's t- t- a tension being described, and I want, I want us this morning to feel that tension. And I, certainly in our country, there is tension. And some of you might say, well, you know, I kind of feel removed from that a little bit. Like, I don't really feel like I'm experiencing that in my day-to-day life. And that's an understandable thought. Um, I I looked at our current Union County statistics. Um, As a county, we're 93.6% white, 3.4% Hispanic, 1.3% two or more races, 0.9% black, 0.7% Asian, and 0.5% American Indian. Uh, That's not right or wrong, that's just, that's Union County. And um, if you think that that's pretty, that, that's not diverse in any way, shape, or form, and yet we are twice as diverse now as we were 20 years ago. You know, so, so they, it's understandable to say, well, I'm not really experiencing that, but I want everyone to feel the tension. So what about Republican-Democrat? Do it, you, there's a tension there, right? There's like, oh, us, oh yeah, now I understand us and them. I, yeah, I get that. White or black, Republican, Democrat. 
And I want us to feel that tension because the significance of the peace and the unity that Paul talks about is lost if we don't realize the, the, the tension and the hatred and the difference that is being left behind to come to this peace and this unity. So again, verse 12 says that um, they were alienated, they were separated, they were strangers, they had no hope, they were without God. The Gentiles were disadvantaged. They didn't have the benefits that the uh, Jewish people had. Verse 13, but now, but this is the new reality. That's how it was, this is the new reality. In Christ Jesus, you who were once who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. This is the present reality. And this is good news for all of us, right? Once we were far off, but in Jesus we've been brought near. So if you are a child of God in the sense that you have accepted Christ into your heart, you have, you've believed that Jesus' death on the cross paid for your sins, you, have, you too have been brought near. Um, you have been brought into the family of God, you could say. So this is the good news. And in Christ, we're going to see in this passage that we're equal. We're not better than. We need to remember that in a way that the Jews did not. We were all pulled off of a path of destruction and given a new life in Christ. So there's, like a, there's a double recon, uh, reconciliation happening um, here in these verses. I think verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So in Christ, in this new relationship with Jesus, specifically here to the Jews and the Gentiles, he's saying to these Gentiles, look, that wall that separated you, like you, the, the Jewish people said, so far but no further, that wall is gone. Like you have access to the Father now. But more than that, I think it, it refers to, and this would be applicable to us, this wall of sin that separated us between that separated us from God is now gone. So no matter what sort of conflict I have, um, the, the conflict I have with God is gone as when I've accepted him, but it also removes conflict that we have with other people. There's peace between each other. Uh, verse 15. By abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances, one of those would have been that wall that said Gentiles can come no further, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. So in Christ, this idea that the Jews and the Gentiles can come together and be at peace. So as, as today, uh, a, a, a black man and a white man who, and you're saying, I don't have any, I don't, have, I don't hold any contempt for anybody. Our, our country shows that there's something going on. There, is, there are issues, but there should, be, there should not be in Christ. Can I say a Republican and a Democrat? Whatever differences you have in Christ, we're one. There's peace between us. Man, woman, boy, girl, no matter what your color of your skin, no matter how much money you make and how much money your neighbor doesn't make, how much education you have or education you don't have, there is an equality in Christ that needs to be separated or celebrated. We have access all together. What do we have? What do we have here next? Verse sixteen. So we're reconciled us both to God, one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Again, we don't. This conflict should be gone in Christ. 
And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Over and over again, as we're reading through this, we're seeing the differences need to be pushed to the side. We're one in Christ. We have peace together in Christ. There is access to the same Father in Christ. Let's look at verse 19. So then, okay, remember you were far off. There was hostility. We've been brought together in unity, in peace, so then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So no matter what your background, you've accepted Christ, now we're one. We're not strangers, we're not aliens, we're fellow citizens. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. We touched on that a couple of weeks ago. So as we come together, we recognize Jesus is the foundation we're building our life on. People are coming from all different backgrounds, but together we have unity. In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And this verse is really interesting because we talk about, uh, if you're talking to a new Christian and you say to him, look, one of the great things about being a follower of Christ is the Holy Spirit's within you. Your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit. And that is, that's amazing. Uh, And we get that. We understand that. We talk about that a lot. But these verses are talking about something different, that each of us together as we come together, we're being built into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. First uh, Peter chapter 2 refers to the same thing. And uh, verse 4 says this, As you come to him, as you come to him, as I come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. Every one of us chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So this is each one of us. We are being brought together individually. We are the temple of God, but collectively we're the temple of God. And this, these verses talk about Jesus being the cornerstone again. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So as I'm reading these verses, you know, I really had to read through these a few times. I'm like, man, I don't want to say the wrong thing. Because like I said, the idea of I'm a temple of God. I get that. We, look, we see that in Corinthians. I've told many people that as a, as a word of encouragement. But here these verses are saying, we collectively are the temple of God. So individually we're the temple, but collectively the temple. Ephesians 2.22, in him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So when an unbeliever drives down Pat Caldwell past House of Prayer Church, of course they can't see through the windows, but when they see us as a church, are they seeing, yeah, there's a group of people and God dwells there. I hope that's what they see. I think that's what they see. But do they drive by and see other things as well? Like, as a, as a larger church, as, as the church gathering this, this morning all across America, do people see the people of God meeting? 
a dwelling place for God? Do they see, they're like, oh, that's where God lives, yes. Or do they see something else? Our, our spiritual reality is that there is unity in Christ, that you are a living stone, that I am a living stone. We are being put together. Christ is the cornerstone. And, and this, this house is being built, this dwelling place of God is being built. That is a reality. But practically speaking, is that the life that we're experiencing? What kind of dwelling place is being built if the living stones placed side by side are divided. How can we as a church be united in a world that demands we be divisive? Some, some thoughts on this. I, I was listening to a podcast uh, where Tim Keller was being interviewed uh, probably a month ago or so. And this is what, this is what he said. My reading of the Bible says that Christians ought to be sold out for racial justice, that all races are equal in the image of God. They should be deeply concerned about the poor and the marginalized. They should be pro-life, and they should believe, at least for Christians, that sex should only be between a man and a woman in marriage. Four things. Again, Tim Keller, I'll continue. The church, the early church was marked by them. We know that. But today, two of those look very conservative. Two of those look very liberal. Right now, what's happening is that those four things are never combined in any political party. They're not combined in any other institution other than Catholic social teaching and biblical Christianity. Tim Keller. He concludes with this. What happens is there's enormous pressure, enormous pressure everywhere in the country for churches to major in two of them and to get quiet about two of them. I think you guys see that. Our culture demands that we choose a side. Democrat, Democrat, Republican. MSNBC, Fox News. Like you have to choose. But is that the biblical way? So my question is for you, my question I've been asking myself, where am I on those four issues? Where are you on those four issues? Where are we as a church on these issues? I, I tend to agree with what Tim had to say. That biblically we need to fight for all four of those things. So the question is, can we do that without being divisive? Can we take a stand in a way that's unifying instead of dividing? So for any of you who have attended House of Prayer regularly for any length of time, you know that Pastor Jerry has been faithful to preach the truth uh, when it comes to uh, supporting the pro-life movement and supporting a traditional biblical view of marriage, one man and one woman for life. Pastor Jerry's done a great job with those. And we've, you look across the street, we just built the Hope Center. What did we build that for? Because we have people in our community that are going without, and we offer food and we offer clothing. We don't charge for those things because we see that there's, we see that there's those needs. Not just physical needs, they're, they're working to, uh, provide an, an avenue, an opportunity to meet spiritual needs. 
through meeting the, the physical needs. Our benevolence team do a great job of helping families who have like an immediate physical need. So where, where do we land on racial justice? You know, arguably, we, we don't have as much opportunity as, as other people. You know, I was in Gwinnett County for six years as a firefighter, and I looked at their statistics, and their statistics are, I don't write them down, so don't hold me to these ones, but they're like 34% white, 29% black, 23% Hispanic, and 12 or 13% Asian. Now, that's a, that's a diverse county. That's not us. It's not wrong that we're not that way. It's, our, it's just who we are. But it's not okay to say, well, I'm watching that on the news, but that doesn't involve me. Like, that, that doesn't apply to where we live because we don't get a pass because we're here in Blairsville. We have brothers and sisters in Christ. And they're crying out saying, we're not being treated fairly because of the color of our skin. And what are we called to do about that? What is the next right thing for us? That's the question that Pastor Jerry asked. That's what I'm applying to this passage. So I have four things I think that we can do. And um, this isn't a three, well, it's, four, it's not a four-step plan to, okay, these, this is what you do tomorrow, this is what you do Tuesday, this is what you do Wednesday. By the end of the week, we're going to have this thing figured out. Like, that's not what I'm going to offer you. But four, four things that we can do maybe to get us thinking biblically about this situation. The first thing is I'm going to ask that you would grieve. You know, the family of George Floyd, the family of Ahmaud Arbery, they're, they're without a son. They're without a father. They're without a brother. It was a, they, they, they were senseless deaths. They didn't need to happen. They shouldn't have happened. And we can grieve for those families. They both experienced great loss. The second thing we can do is we could seek to understand And I'll just tell you, if you watch the news, they're not trying to, most of the news is not trying to help you understand. They're trying to incite one side against the other. They want to sensationalize the conflict. Okay, the fact that the CNN center was vandalized last week is not the issue. It's a symptom of the issue. Instead of focusing on what is happening, maybe we should be asking the question, why is this happening? What is causing the conflict? Where is this anger coming from? Like, statistically, we can look and see like 45 people are murdered every day in the United States. 45 people a day. No protests, no um, vandalism, no looting. Why are tens of thousands of people, largely minorities, outraged and marching? I think that this death of George Floyd is just the straw that broke the camel's back. I look around and a lot of you are parents or in the crowd this morning. When your child acted out, you have to correct the, the, the issue, right? So your, your little guy, he picks up a stone and he's like throwing, dogs, throwing stones at the dog. Obviously you make him stop and you tell him that's not right. 
But guess what? If you don't find out why he was throwing stones at the dog, he's going to be throwing stones at the dog tomorrow. We need to be asking, why is this happening? Not just so focused on, I wonder if anything happened last night. Yeah, I've been guilty in the morning this week to get up and pull out my phone to find out what happened last night. That's not the issue. It's a symptom of the issue. Third thing we can do, we can proclaim the hope for justice and unity. We've got the good news, right? This isn't like just a total like, oh, oh, woe is us, we're in a terrible spot, there's nothing I can do. We've got the good news. We, we, We looked at this passage this morning, our relationship with Jesus Christ brings peace. It brings unity, brings access to God. This is what people need. They need, to, they need to know that there's a God in heaven that loves them and sent his son to die on the cross for their sins. We know the final outcome. Look at Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Like that's that's how it ends. And in that crowd, do you know who's going to be there? Every tongue, every tribe, every nation. So from that nation of the United States... There's going to be poor, there's going to be rich, there's going to be educated, there's going to be uneducated, there's going to be black, there's going to be white, Republican, Democrat. We're all going to be there. We need to proclaim the focus more on the unity that we have, the good news that we have, than trying to make sure that everyone is thinking correctly. The correct thinking is that the only answer is Jesus Christ. And I have to add this, you can put this in parentheses, we've got to do this in a nonpartisan way. And I'll, I'll tell you, the, the, the devil's having a heyday on social media right now. It's a great source of division. And, and if, I can, if I can just say this, I say this with love, I say this because I love my Savior. Posting about conspiracies and corruption and what's wrong with everyone who doesn't think the way that you think, it's not helpful. It's divisive. It's hurtful. And if that person who doesn't agree with you and you just posted all the things the way that they, they're thinking is wrong and why they're, they're not right, and then you post about that God loves them, guess what? They don't want to hear it. Not from you, anyways. Not from me. If I've been like that. And I don't, I don't look at, at you and think, man, I need to chastise this group. But I, I, I look at social media and I'm like, somebody needs to hear that. And so I say it to whoever might need to hear it. feel like I need to say this. 
all lives matter is not the correct response to black lives matter. It's not the correct response. And if you think that it is, I lovingly just ask you to go back to number two. Seek to understand. I'll be honest, my first response when I saw Black Lives Matter was, all lives matter. That was my first response. But that's not the point that they're trying to make. Jackie came to me after first service. And she said, if you went to a rally, for a pro-life rally, and you saw someone holding a sign that said, unborn lives matter, would you go and correct them? No, you wouldn't. And I'm not saying that we need to be apolitical as Christians, but I do think that we need to focus more on proclaiming what we are for than proclaiming what we are against. We have a lot to be for. Our God is for us. We, we, we should be shouting from the rooftop, there's unity, there's hope, there's peace, there's love, there's justice. And it's found in Jesus Christ. Number four, I think we can all pray. We can pray for people, and we say, well, we're not, we're in Blairsville, we're kind of, we're not really exposed to that every day. Well, we can pray for the people who are. We can pray that we have a better understanding of these issues. I, I know I need a better understanding of these issues. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 are a familiar verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. We've got the greatest news that our country desperately needs to hear. And so my, my call this morning as we look at scriptures, we need to offer the unity that, that Christ provides and not, not be so divisive. And I'm telling you, it's so easy to be well-meaning and divisive at the same time. Karen, um, Karen Pope put a post on Facebook. Beautiful Pope, a beautiful post of something she's passionate about. The way that she's uh, worked tirelessly with um, women facing the, the, the choice of abortion or to have a baby or to have an abortion and, and the complexity of that issue and what that means for someone who chooses to keep the baby. And, and, and it, was, it was awesome to say, I am for this and these are the things that I'm doing to promote this. Those are the types of ways that we can influence change in a way that's positive that says, look, here's something for you to get behind. You're hoping that's the person who disagrees with you is going to read it, and you post it in a way that allows them to, re- to receive the truth. Even just since first service, I was thinking, if we agree with the, the, the original statement that, that um, I read from, from Tim, that racial justice, the poor and the oppressed, pro-life, and uh, 
biblical traditional view of marriage. If we agree that all four of those things are something that as a church we should biblically be able to say we're for all those things and we're going to get behind all those things. This, as, we, as we look at social media and we look at the news, this is a great opportunity for us. Like if we say we're for racial justice, here's our opportunity. It is presenting itself. So I don't, I don't have necessarily all the answers. But I hope what we can do is be thinking about these things, that we can be praying about these things, that we, as we look in the scripture, we see the call to unity and see that I'm guilty of, of, of encouraging division instead of unity. I'm not saying that I want you to do that. I'm, just, I'm saying that's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm guilty of it. But we're, we're called to be unified. So if, if that is what the scripture's saying to us, then there is a way for a Democrat and a Republican to share the same pew. For a, a person of color to sit beside a white person in the same pew and say different backgrounds, different cultures, different views on certain things, but together we are united in Christ and we're gonna proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ together. I want you guys to pray with me. Heavenly Father, I'm the first Lord to stand up and say, I've been divisive. I've been ignorant of the issues. Even apathetic to those who are struggling, those who are in need. I think of times I've had opportunity to do good, but I didn't do it. Lord, I, I confess those things this morning. Heavenly Father, I, boy, I, can, I just confess, I love this church. I love that we are known for our love, that we are known for our commitment to truth. Lord, I'm excited about the ways that um, different ones in this church are, are passionate about the truth of your word. And we're living that out. We're seeking to reach our community. Lord, this is one more area that we need to consider. Where are, where are we at with that? What are we, how are we thinking? What are we doing? What would you have us to do? How would you have us to think? What does your word say about division, about unity? Lord, I ask that you would help us to see how you see during this time. Help us to love people the way that you've loved us. Lord, I pray that we could have compassion for people in the same way that Jesus had compassion for the people that he saw and the people he interacted with. Lord, you've called us to be salt. You've called us to be light. Lord, I, I look around and I see that we, we're living in a time where the, the good news of Jesus Christ is needed. The hope found in Jesus is needed. The peace, the justice, the mercy, all these things are found in you, Lord. I pray that we would learn to love, that we would learn to communicate these things, that we would learn to uh, reach out and understand those who feel like they've been rejected, those who feel like they 
have been overlooked and help them to see that we care. We want what is, we want to do, we want to live out as a church and as individuals what is right. Lord, I pray and ask, Lord, that you would bring unity to us, first of all, as a, as a congregation, as a body of believers, you promise unity for those who are in you, Lord. I pray that we would be united as a church under one cause, and that's to see people growing in a relationship with you. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see how we can uh, have unity, even if we have different political viewpoints, even if we have, uh, if we're separated by age, even if we're um, living on two different ends of income brackets. Lord, I pray that you would allow us to have unity as brothers and sisters in Christ brought together for this common goal of seeing your name proclaimed. I pray that we would not forget our privileged position of being in a relationship with you, that we would always be focused on this purpose that you've given us of reconciling others to you and to ourselves. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.